Well, with all the various outreach ministries going on in the church, I just thought I would take this week and really talk about evangelism and how key it is to the life of the church. Uh, those of you who take notice, you'll see a couple things plastered on the church. One on the side of the building, Growing Hearts in Jesus, which is really our vision statement. And the idea behind that is the intention of us as a church and the direction that the leaders tried to put forward is that each of us would have a growing relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all the activities, all the things that we do uh, should be pointed in that direction. And so in a, if you think about it this way, you know, every river has a, a current, correct? And so uh, the current of our river, if you will, will be uh, that each of us have a growing relationship with Jesus. And why that's important to us as a church is not only because that's what Scripture teaches, that that God desires that each of us would be conformed and transformed into the image of the person of Jesus Christ, but that through our lives that we would bring glory to God, uh, which means to reflect God in some way through us. And if you're not growing in Christ, uh, then that reflection, if you will, uh, becomes dulled uh, because people look at your life and they say, well, you know, I'm not really seeing much of Jesus there. So uh, our uh, goal in life is that we would have that growing relationship to fulfill God's mission for each of us as individuals and as a church. And then if you walk through the doors into the uh, lobby or the foyer here, you'll see this. And so I know sometimes you walk around, you, you don't, we don't pay attention. I don't pay attention sometimes too. But we have these words there, growing hearts in Jesus again, the vision. And then there's three what we call missional statements that we would like to be true of each of us as a church. And one of those is inviting others to know Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about today. That each of us have the unique privilege uh, as believers in Christ to extend to others, no matter what our circumstance, no matter what our position in life, no matter where we are, we have the unique privilege to extend to others the gift of eternal life because we understand that there is no other important thing under heaven, nothing that can compare to knowing Christ as Savior and having the gift of eternal life. Jesus put it this way, what if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul? And of course, the answer to that is nothing. A person who has everything in the world but not Jesus has nothing. And so we believe in inviting others. And of course, the other two uh, statements, missional statements, is that uh, we be connected. That's community, being together, like yesterday. Uh, I was sharing with the uh, people there. It's like a little piece of heaven. We had the beautiful weather, great music, great food, uh, just being together you know, even though we have a lot of hassles in this life, just having those little pieces uh, of glimpses, if you will, of heaven, being together in koinonia fellowship, that's, that's together in Christ as believers, so important. Scripture says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. It's important for you to be here. Sundays and other times, small group ministries, as our brother, Pastor Mike Hurd, shared a few weeks earlier, all those things are so important to our transformation growth. And then serving serving, that you would know 
the gift that God has given you. Now, each of us have been given a gift. God says, here, I'm giving you a gift, and I want you to take that gift and use it uh, for my cause. So today we're going to talk about invitation, and if you look at the text, I would encourage you to open your Bibles if you have them. In Luke chapter 14, it's an invitation from Jesus to be with him forever and ever. And uh, the key verse that we're going to be looking at is in verse 16, where uh, a man stands up. We're going to talk about this. A man stands up, and really he's actually speaking from a prophecy from the Old Testament would be fulfilled through the Messiah. And the man stands up and says, Blessed is the man who will eat a feast in the kingdom of God. Now, the word blessed in the original language could also be translated to be happy. Uh, How many people want to be happy this morning? All right, so you want to have a destination for the feast of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to talk about that. And uh, so that's the first thing that we're going to look at. And then there's two truths I want us to see together. One is the privilege you and I have to be invited by Jesus. You know, uh, with some of us, we, you ever get an invitation to mail? I, I tell you what, some of these wedding invitations, you really see the bride and sometimes the mom. The mom they plot together. Uh, such beautiful invitations, right? The, the script, the style, you can really see the personality of somebody coming through. Why do they put so much time and thought into that invitation? Because it's important, Right? In a similar way, you and I have been invited to the table with the living God through the person of Jesus. And and not only that, you and I now have the privilege of inviting others to that feast. That's that's good stuff. And so we're going to look at these truths uh, to to understand them together. So let's let's begin here, going back to uh, the parable that Jesus spoke about, if you look with me at the text, verse 16, there's always a context to Scripture. Uh, I'm going to teach you what that means. Context is key to interpreting and understanding Scripture. So whenever we see some verses that we're trying to understand, we always go to the previous verses to understand what led Jesus to give this parable. And so Uh, What helps us is to go all the way back to Luke chapter 14, verse 1. And what we first find out immediately, it was the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath. And Jesus goes to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Uh, This is very unique. This only happened a few times in all the Gospels. Jesus spent most of his time with the derelicts and the sinners. Uh, Good news for most of us, right? Uh, but in this case, uh, here Jesus is being invited by a head honcho. That's why I call him the head honcho, right? Right, uh, Pastor Tapia? We call him the head honcho, right? And here he is, uh, a religious ruler, and they're inviting him to their home for a dinner. Uh, but look at what it says in verse 1. They're watching him carefully. They're trying to trap him, really, is what it comes down to. So this was like... Uh, an invitation with an agenda, so to speak. It wasn't like, hey, come and have a meal with us and enjoy ourselves together. No, 
come have a meal so we can really check you out and trap you because we do not agree with your ministry. This is really what the force is behind this text. And so the text proceeds, if you, again, Luke 14, go to two, verse 2. So Jesus does two things which I find very interesting. The first thing he does is Sabbath day is there's a gentleman there who has dropsy, some kind of a, uh, a um, paralysis, if you will, of the arm. He cannot lift it, and so Jesus calls him forward and heals that man. And if you look at their response, he first asks this question. All these religious rulers are there before him. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remain silent. Why, why did they remain silent, you think? Well, they were catching him, them, in their hypocrisy. Because when Israel was exiled into Babylon, uh, they needed to learn how to uh, apply the law of Moses while they're in Babylon in exile. And so they came up with this thing called the Talmud, which is a commentary on the law. They, they didn't know how to practice it because they weren't in Jerusalem. They couldn't go to the temple with sacrifices. So they came up with all these interpretations on how to apply the law while they were outside of Israel. And one of the laws that they had, they had over 600 laws on the Sabbath alone. And one of the things you couldn't do on the Sabbath was to work, and they delineated healing, healing as work. And so Jesus says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They remain silent, so he takes the man. I love this about Jesus. What does he do? He heals him. And then he says to him, which of you having a son or an ox that falls into a well on a Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things because he caught them in their duplicity. He caught them in their hypocrisy. Don't you love that about Jesus? I mean, nothing untrue will stand before him. Do you understand that? The glory of the risen Christ, uh, all the gamemanship, all the hypocrisy, all the foolishness of man, uh, crumbles before him and then he goes on to tell them a parable because why this is the second thing i want us to see in verse seven he notices how in this dinner you've got some seating seated seated in places of honor and some over here and he sees this kind of caste system if you will amongst the religious hierarchy so he tells this parable look at it with me in verse eight when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, it's incredibly practical here. Listen to what he's saying. Do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. So in other words, imagine, you know, Pastor Joe is invited to the wedding, right? Uh, Amy, I'm at Emily's wedding. They have a, a seat of honor there. I said, you know what? I'm the pastor. I deserve to sit I deserve to sit at the, the, the high table. I sit there, and then Amy comes over and says, Hey, Pastor Joe, uh, that's not your seat, and i got to move. Would that be not be humiliating? That's the idea here. Look, think of how practical this is. And he's seeing all this, Jesus, and he says this. Look at verse 9. Uh, um, and he who invites you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person, then you'll begin with shame to take the lowest place. But then it says this, when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. 
that you will be honored in the presence of all and sit at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What is Christ doing here? He is nailing the problem amongst these religious leaders, which was pride. There's nothing more offensive to God than pride. He, In fact, Scripture says he gives grace to the humble, but resists or opposes the pride, the proud. Psalm 138, he says, Though the Lord is on high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. You see, the Lord has a special place for those of us who are willing to humble ourselves. And this was the exact opposite of what was going on amongst all these religious elite. I mean, this just tells us that uh, religiosity by the way, will not get us anywhere. So in the middle of this scene, that's all context, by the way. That was just the introduction. (laughs) That's all context. We come to an interesting verse of Scripture, which is our key verse. Um, Look at verse 15. A man stands up and says, Blesses everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God or feast in the kingdom of God. He was stating something that every Jewish teacher was familiar with, that one day Messiah would come to earth and uh, as king, and there would be a great feast to celebrate victory over injustice and evil, and that death would be no more. He's actually quoting indirectly from Isaiah 25, but indirectly also you have references to Jeremiah Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Zechariah. This was a main truth of messianic theology uh, of the first century. They were looking for the Messiah, and one of the key signs of the Messiah would be when Messiah comes, there would be a great feast of celebration, which, of course, we see fulfilled in Revelation chapter 19, which we'll uh, just talk about for a moment. In Revelation chapter 19, It's called the Great Wedding Banquet of the Lamb of God. Uh, One day Jesus is going to return again. The first time he came as the suffering servant. He came to die for our sins that we may have eternal life. The second time Jesus comes, he comes to judge. And uh, for those who know him, they will be invited to a great banquet, the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. That's what it's called in Revelation chapter 19. And it says that, that those who would receive forgiveness of sin through Christ would be invited there. In fact, this is the way it tells the story. It says, those who are clothed in fine linen, bright and clean. The only way you get clothed with fine linen in terms of what Scripture teaches is through the shed blood of Christ. All of us, Scripture says, are sinners destined for an eternity apart from God, eternity in hell. This is what Scripture teaches. And that through Christ now, he came, died for our sins, and that through him, uh, these uh, wretched, uh, filthy rags that each of us have are removed, and then he puts his fine, clean linen on us. That's good news, isn't it? And then we get invited to this great feast. But there's another detail in the, the wedding supper of the Lamb. We read at the end scene, that the angels and elders together of all those who received Christ would shout loudly around God's throne, let us rejoice 
and be glad and give God glory. And then this detail is given. It sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder. Awesome, right? You guys don't look like you're enjoying this. Awesome, right? (laughs) I mean, do you want to be in heaven with the living God one day? Celebrating? Rejoicing? I hope that's what you're longing for, my friends, because if you're longing for the next burger, you get filled, and it's gone. Long for the vacation, you know, you have a week away, and then you come back to New Jersey. Ah! I'm not saying we can't enjoy a burger or or a time away, but those things come and they go, and they come and they go, and they come. They never fill. They never set. The hope of the living God is what fills us. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I'll say it one more time just to make sure you heard me. Do you want to be there? Yeah. All right. All right. Now we're talking now. Right, Anita? Get this church speaking up a little bit. Look at verses 16 17. Jesus then goes and tells another parable. He says this to the man in 1670, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready. But look at this tragic response. They all alike began to make excuses. What? Everything's ready. The certain man here is Jesus, speaking of himself. The servants are you and I, who know Christ, the privilege of inviting others. And then we're told to extend it to others. I mean, that's a life of invitation, my friend. Now, I don't know who's in your circle and sphere of relationships, but the most important thing you could possibly ever do is extend to them an invitation to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Why do I say that? Because eternity is on the line. Eternal life is on the line. Paul, the Apostle Paul, on many occasions in his letters talks about the privilege of being a bond laborer, a bond servant for Christ, the privilege of extending to others an invitation, a call, Romans chapter 1, wall call to people from every nation to faith in Christ. There's nothing greater. But we see here, in verse 18, we see here many who begin to make uh, excuses, rejection. They all began to make excuses. What are, were their excuses? Well, one had uh, bought a field, another had five yoke of oxen, another just got married. Uh, let me point out some observations about these excuses. First, they all rejected the invitation. Who's he talking to now? He's talking to the most religious people in Jerusalem. And they're all rejecting the invitation. I, I, can you get anything any sadder than that? I've been at family gatherings and uh, other places where 
I began to talk about the Lord, and you can tell people want to run for the hills. Oh boy, there he goes about Jesus again. Making excuses. Everyone thinks they've got so much to do, right? But the first thing is rejection. The second thing is their excuses. I mean, it's pretty common, right? Some are are workaholics. Others are absorbed with family matters. By the way, all these things seem reasonable, don't they? Uh, To be so preoccupied. What's wrong with work? Work's good. Family's good. But let me tell you something. If work and family are more important than the things of God, not good. That's why Jesus, Jesus is speaking hyperbole now. In one portion of the Gospels, he says, unless you hate your mother and your father and your sisters and your brothers. Why would he say that? You can't have a part of me. Why would he say that? He's not saying to hate our family. He's just saying in the scale of values, if we put something before him, we become excluded from the most important thing that God has for us. And so they made excuses. You know, I'm saddened by the stories I hear from some of you of reaching out to family and they reject it. My heart bleeds for you. I write it down and I pray for you all on a regular basis. If you're, uh, and by the way, if you're not in my, uh, if you're not in the church database, I wouldn't know how to pray for you. So give us your information because I put it on a list and I pray for you. When I find out knowledge about your situation, I truly, the elders and I, the pastors and I, we truly pray that God would be, uh, you would be an instrument for him and that God would work in you and change you. And it, it hurts to hear the stories of people who reject you and your message, our gospel. But look at another thing in verse 21, the disappointment of the master himself. In verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to the master, and then the master of the house became angry. This angered the Lord. This upset him because everything was made ready. Christ came, he died for sin, that man may have salvation, and then when the gospel's presented and rejected, what do you think that does to the heart of God? There's a sense of anger in that. It grieves God when man rejects his love. It grieves him to encounter rejection. You know, it's interesting, a few years ago I picked up this story. It's a fictitious story. Uh, about Satan, who called some of his demons and wanted to send some of them to earth to aid women and men in the destruction of their souls. He asked which one would want to go. One demon came forward and said, I'll go. So Satan asked, if I send you, what will you tell the children of men? He said, I'll tell the children of men that there is no heaven. Satan says, they will not believe you. For there is a little bit of heaven in every human heart. In the end, everyone knows that right and good must have the victory. You must go. You may not go. Another came forward darker and fouler than the first. So Satan says, if I send you, what will you tell the children of men? He said, I'll tell them there's no hell. Satan looked at him and said, no, they will not believe you. For in every human heart, there's a thing called conscious, an inner voice which testifies the truth that that not only will good triumph, 
but that evil will be defeated. You may not go. Then one last creature came forward. This one from the darkest place of all. And Satan said to him, If I send you, what will you say to women and men to aid them in the destruction of their souls? He said, I'll tell them there's no hurry. I'll tell them there's no hurry. I hope, dear friends, that you take seriously the call to invite others to know Jesus, that you're praying for those around you that they may know Jesus. And let them know there's urgency here. We don't know if we have tomorrow, do we? Any of us can go on the highway and, and meet God tomorrow, even today for that matter, where some other thing may happen. We don't have that privilege. And so Jesus ends his parable, I love this, in verse 24. He said, go out to the streets, go to the alleyways, go to the roads, the country lanes, and make them come in so that my house may be full. Wow. This is absolutely awesome. That you and I have this great privilege. Now that is what I call ringtone. I love that. God bless you. Is that a ringtone or alarm that you've gone too long, Pastor Joe? <laughs> Go to the streets. What, what's Jesus saying? This is for everyone. This is for everyone. And the servant said, Sir, we did what you commanded. We went out, and there's still room. I love this. Well, he said, go to the highways and hedges and compel people to come that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who are invited shall taste my banquet. The ones he's talking about are the ones who reject. Great, great word from God. Um, I asked a dear brother, who in one of my favorite, favorite persons in the church, Mr. Ron Anderson, because when he speaks, there is pure humility. And I don't mean to embarrass you about that but I love you and I asked him to share his testimony rather than continue on would you come up here and share with others what God's done in your life good morning church does everybody out there believe in miracles because there's a miracle he was over there. I don't like these things. Brother Paul was sitting over there. It's, he was eight months battling his uh, illness of a stroke and like that. And he was here today. And that was a miracle right there. I started out as a normal kid. I went to grammar school first year, or the first grade, I ended up with scarlet fever. And I was out most of the year. And I came back the last couple months. And they passed me, and my parents went and said, how can you pass him? He was out all year. 
So he's too big to stay back. So the next year, same thing. I'd, during that time, I kind of got away from listening to people. I, I did not do good with authority. I joined the Army. That didn't work. Um, I ran from the law. I went from Jersey all the way out to New Mexico. Um, running from the law and ended up in Mexico and I had a, a trooper get me a place to stay and everything and we talked and he you know said about God and everything and said, yeah, okay I got my way of praying and stuff and th my life just went on and on and Everything I did, I thought it was great. I broke up families because I, I lived in a bar, and the only thing that I cared about was drinking and women. And my life was just, I thought it was fantastic. I had everything I wanted. I slept in chicken coops. I slept in bathrooms to garages. There was nothing wrong, nothing wrong with my life. I I had it good. And then, uh, I don't know, I, I tried suicide twice. I had uh, a girl that, two girls that was going to have my son, and one of them got an abortion. The other one... Um, I see my son up till he was nine months old, and she took off and went to Texas and sold him to a private adoption agency for drug money. And it was like everything tearing at my heart. And but yet I was doing okay, my way, my way was all right until I got to the point that uh, it wasn't all right. And a friend of mine says, come to church. And I says, nah, I got my way of praying to God. And I didn't even know who God was. But then it got to a point where I said to her, you know, okay, I'll go, go to church with you. And I came to church. Then I went to the pig roast. And within four or five times coming to church I sat in the pew right here and I could not keep the tears from coming out of my eyes I felt so bad I ended up after service and went to Pastor Mikey T and I told him I can't run my life anymore I says I don't know if I'm coming, going, up, down what and we talked, and it was a few weeks after that I accepted Jesus into my heart. And the road that I've been going through for the past couple of years has been so fantastic. My father used to always blame me. I had a brother die at 21. He, he blamed me for that. I wasn't even around. But I was the fault. I was the worst one out of the family, so I, I got the blame. 
But um, I see things from a different eye now. My eyes see where I used to be where I'd get out of my car if somebody had done something. And I went to attack them. The guy put his window up. And I went to go through the window with my fist. And my wife grabbed me on the shoulder. And, and all of a sudden, I'm like this. And I turn around, and there she is. Then my brothers, two brothers come out, and they're ready to start. And since I found God, I don't get that anger. God took that anger away from me. He's given me more than I deserve. I've seen miracles after miracles, and I know it's Jesus. I could never stand up in front of people and talk. Today, I can. I said a prayer to give me the strength to be up and talk to you people and get rid of this pounding heart and this stomach ache. And he did. He took it away. And anybody out there that has not accepted Jesus, like Pastor Joe said, you leave this parking lot. You don't know if you're going to die or what. Today is the day that you can have eternal life. By just asking for Jesus, let him know that you know you've sinned and you want him in your life and you want to have eternal life. It's beautiful. The feeling afterwards is beautiful. And you know he's with you all the time. So I want to thank you for listening to me. I hope I didn't bore you to death. Thank you. Well, there's not even a... There's not even a, a word I'd like to add to that. That was perfectly done, Ron. Perfectly done. Thank God for you. And you know what's beautiful about Ron? It's, there's more to the story, which is he and Ginny, his beautiful wife, they opened their home up uh, there at that, uh, right on the border of Jackson and Tom's River and are inviting people into their home and sharing the love of Jesus with them. And I just want to thank you for your faithfulness, and you're such a beautiful addition to this church. I, again, I'm so thankful for you. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for your goodness to us, how you transform us and change us in Christ. And as we've prayed and talked this morning and looked at Scripture, Lord, I uh, just want to Thank you for the privilege that each of us have in Christ. And we pray as we uh, just finish up the service that our hearts will be filled with knowing you. And if there, again, as Ron challenged us just a few minutes earlier, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Christ, just be willing to come to the front. There'll be several people here to pray with you to explain more. And also the second hour. If you want to learn how to better share your faith, we're having a special seminar on evangelism on the four spiritual laws, and that's 
the second hour, and you're welcome to come to that after our coffee time.